This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ranchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You're encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC. News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's a great pleasure to be with all of you this morning and a lovely Saturday morning. I hope people are planning on getting outside, getting some exercise, working in the garden, or going to sporting events, and really enjoying the day. And I hope everyone had a good Memorial Day weekend. Again, great weather then, uh, and uh, it's been a great week overall. Uh, this past week, on a personal note, my dad turned 93 years old. And you can't help but think, whenever I see patients and, and people who have lived that long, I think of all of the events they have lived through as our society has evolved and how things have changed technologically, politically, uh, going through world wars, uh, things such as that. And and it's such a, a great amount of information, and it's great to sit down and chat with folks of those eras at those times to really learn more and more about that. And uh, uh, it was great. It, it was great to be with him and, and to see him turn. 93 years old. Oh, I've got to tell you, last night I was at uh, the Mixed Martial Arts event in Hartford. So we're starting to do more combat sports events here in Connecticut outside of the casinos. So I do serve as a ringside physician for the Boxing Commission, the Athletic Commission here. And I got to spend time with a guest on our show previously, Dr. Cato Lorenzen. People will remember Dr. Lorenzen is an orthopedic surgeon who does – he was former dean of the medical school as well. And Dr. Lorenzen has done tremendous work in regrowing joints. I'll never forget the moment. You know, at the end of the show, I often ask people, my guests, what the future holds for their field. And – when Dr. Lorenzen looked at me and said, well, I think that by 2030, we should be well on our way to growing new limbs. And I, I was just shocked. But um, obviously, that's the kind of re- – that's the level of research he's involved with. He is on the Athletic Commission, and uh, we had a great time. Now, you know, these sports have come under a lot of criticism, uh, cruelty, uh, meanness, whatever it is. But when you look at fights like mixed martial arts, uh, so-called cage fighting, which is, you know, part of the hype or boxing, I have to be honest with you. I'm not a fan of these sports, but I enjoy being around great athletes. And it's interesting because these athletes, and and I include that with, with football players and other people who play high velocity collision sports and combat sports, there's a different mentality. They, I guess I would call it the warrior mentality, where this is what they enjoy, is that physical contact. And I don't mind it. I'm not repulsed by it. Because there's also a certain amount of camaraderie among them. 
I don't like the trash talking in any sport, uh, but I like to see good competition. And that's what we had in Hartford last night. I have to say it was a, a well-run program. The State Athletic Commission, Department of Public Safety, uh, really ran a, a great event. And I'm hoping to see more of that. Uh, after the fight, uh, when I was leaving, you could see people all going to restaurants and bars in downtown Hartford. And it's great um, for our community. A couple of things that came up uh, this week in, in sports. You know, there are thousands, actually in, in health, there are a thousand cases now of measles reported. And on Ray and Joe's show in the morning, Ray said he didn't understand what the problem was as long as you had your child vaccinated. And I think that's the key statement. So just to clarify things for people, if you've had your child vaccinated, that's great. But but there are certain children that cannot be vaccinated, either because they have an allergy to the vaccine or they have an immunodeficiency or they're infants and too young to be immunized and get the vaccination. Those are the people who are vulnerable, people who are on immunosuppressant drugs. So these, these things leave them vulnerable. So they rely on what we call the herd immunization. And with that herd immunization, we try to get 95% of a population to be immunized and get the vaccine. So, you know, if you want to make a choice and not have your child vaccinated, why should you endanger other people who cannot? And I think that's the real question with public schools. So many of the unvaccinated children are going to private schools, and that's fine. But if you're going to school, uh, you should really, you're choosing a school for your child, ask them their vaccination levels. I think that's a, a key question. Um, Mount Everest climbers, we've been hearing a lot about this. You know, climbing Mount Everest is not an easy thing to do. And why is the challenge? It's because of acclimatization. You need to get used. Your body needs to get used to being at a high altitude. And with that, the air is thinner. You're not getting as high a concentration of oxygen. You often, you'll have to rely on oxygen support. But even with that, there are so many people trying to do this. When I saw the lines, I think we've all seen it. We've seen these lines of people trying to get to the top of Mount Everest. Uh, you know, it reminds me of Disney World. It's like, could you buy a fast pass or something to get to the top? I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't think that many people did this. Uh, but I understand the economic interest because it, it costs $11,000 to get a permit to climb to the top of Mount Everest. So something has to be done because people are dying waiting in line, literally, uh, trying to get to the top of Mount Everest. And that's, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with that challenge. And uh, I think there are other physical challenges for people to embark on. So uh, let's see what, what develops there. You know, we're going to take a short break, and then I'm going to be back. There are a few topics I really want to discuss. Uh want to talk about something that happened in baseball this week. Another topic I came up with was epilepsy in sports that I wanted to talk about. And then at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to have a guest. Dr. Gene Herzog is going to be on. Dr. Herzog's a Ph.D., 
She is the Senior Director for Health and Wellness for Special Olympics Connecticut, which is coming up next weekend, and I'll have more information about that. So the phone number's here, 860-522-9842, 1-800-966-9842. And if you wish to get me during the week, uh, it's info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And uh, this day in medicine, June 1st, 1941, Johannes Hans Berger, uh, this is the day he revealed that he devised a system for putting electrodes on the skull and recording electrical activity and brainwave patterns. Now, this is a technology. So this was 1941. This is a technology we still use today called EEG, electroencephalogram. So anybody who has ever been suspected of having a seizure or uh, an episode of loss of consciousness will probably have had one of these tests. And it's the same way. So it's amazing that this was in 1941 when he did that work. Uh, This same date in 1822, uh, Frederick Matthias Claudius was born. He's an anatomist that discovered polyhedral cells in the cochlear canal, basically part of the hearing apparatus. So he did a lot of research way back in 1822 with respect to hearing. So we remember them in this day in medicine. Um, big flu outbreak. Uh, there, there's been a big flu outbreak, uh, outbreak among migrants. So we're holding people at the border. And I'm not going to get into the politics of the right and wrong and, and whatever we're doing. I will tell you this. No matter when you have a lot of people in close contact, it could be in prison. It could be at a sleepover camp. It could be in spring training you're going to have a problem with infections, whether it be the flu or some other infectious problem. And you have to be very careful of overcrowding and sanitary conditions. So it sounds like, and what I've been hearing is that in these retention detention areas, we, we haven't expanded them enough to give people some room. So I think that's something that has to be looked at. Interesting thing, since we were talking about EEG and really developing EEG since 1941, uh, I had a question uh, someone sent me regarding epilepsy in sports. In this case, it was uh, in the sport of baseball. So epilepsy, as we all know, are seizures, episodes of uncontrolled loss of consciousness that persist and are the result of an abnormal electrical activity, an abnormal electrical discharge, and subsequent activity in the brain. These episodes are fairly well controlled. About 70% are controlled with just one medication. Sometimes two medications are needed. And in rarer cases, surgery is needed. So the question came up, is there a problem with an athlete playing sports. Well, obviously it depends on what sports. Motor sports, probably not a good idea. But in a sport like baseball uh, and even football, to be honest with you, when the episodes are well controlled on medication, there's not a problem. We have people with epilepsy really performing at the highest levels of sport. Um, I treat several who are in the major leagues and 
you know, as long as they understand that they need to stick with their medication, um, they're entirely safe. So, you know, there's the these old connotations of epilepsy being this tremendously disabling thing and you should not be doing certain things. And that's really not the case. And we're going to talk more about that when we get to the discussion of people with intellectual disabilities later in the show when we're talking about Special Olympics. Another topic that came up this week was that revolving around the Chicago Cubs player Albert Almora Jr. Now, Mr. Almora was at bat, hit a line drive to the left side, went out, and hit a young four-year-old girl, obviously causing damage. This is not a rare occurrence in sports. And we have now really tried to control this by extending the netting. So there wasn't always netting behind the backstop. I think most of us don't even remember when there wasn't. But there was netting behind the backstop, obviously, to keep people safe from foul balls. Last year, we extended the netting to just beyond the dugouts. Again, because of these high-velocity balls coming off the bat at faster speeds than we've ever recorded in baseball. And sometimes, bats being broken and going off into the side. So, this happened in a field where there were the appropriate safety precautions, but it was just beyond that. So the question comes up now, do we need to extend the netting all the way around the stadium? And I think the answer is yes, if we're going to keep the fans safe. It is not possible for someone to react in time. It it requires such lightning-like reflexes. Even the slightest distraction will get in the way. And having young children down there vulnerable to getting hit with a baseball. So people are already saying it's going to change the fan experience. Fans like to feel like they're on the field. You got to be kidding me. Because really, is, is that more important than someone getting permanently injured? Probably not. So here's what I like to do in these situations. I like to ask the pros. And this is something came on early on in my career in sports is I tell people this all the time and people email me, you know, what would you do, doctor? You know, if you were in my situation, what would you do? That's a really fair question. That's a good question to ask your doctor. But in this case, I found it interesting from my observations that whenever baseball players and coaches, families would come to the stadium they made sure they were behind the netting, behind home plate. That's the only place they would let their families sit. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the people who are around the base, the game of baseball the most realize the danger and absolutely insist on the safety being laid forward for their families, which tells us all that's the safest place to sit. Obviously, you could sit up in the upper deck where it'd be safe, but down the line. So I am a big fan and supporter of the fact that we need to extend the netting. It's not that bad. It's not like this thing distorts you, like you're going to miss something in the game because of a net in front. 
and it's going to provide a, a real level of safety uh, that I think is is very needed. We're going to be coming back soon, and, and I want to talk, I'm going to give a little preview to the second part of the show. We're going to have Dr. Gene Herzog on, who's a Ph.D., and Senior Director of Health and Wellness for Special Olympics Connecticut. The Summer Games are coming up next weekend on the 8th and 9th. And in fact, on the 9th, I'll be volunteering at the soccer arena and soccer fields at Hamden Hall School. And I love being out there. I can't tell you, I was telling my wife this week how much I look forward to getting out there and being with these athletes and in some way participating in this event especially the unified games where we have athletes on the same team with intellectual disabilities and those who do not have intellectual disabilities and seeing the way they have practiced and worked their game around the rules that govern it and really made it well. But here's some of the statistics. So some things you may not know is that if you are going to volunteer for Special Olympics, you need to have credentials. So every three years you need to reapply for a background check and you have to take a course. So my credentials were up, and I took the course and submitted my background check. But in the course, it was really a, a an intense discussion of the challenges facing people with intellectual disabilities. And the numbers are staggering. There are 200 million people in the world with intellectual disabilities, and, and really a small percent, only 5 million athletes, um, there are about a million volunteers who work these events. What struck me was that 56% of medical students, when they graduate medical school, feel that they have not been given enough education regarding the treatment of people with intellectual disabilities. And that means in terms of communicating what things to look out for that are different in this population. And and really the illnesses that run that are more common among folks. And I think communication is really a big issue. It's something I've learned and I learn all the time uh, when working with uh, patients with intellectual disability. So I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, Dr. Herzog joining us in the second half of the program and if you have questions, you can call in 860-522-9842, 1-800-966-9842. Especially if you have questions about Special Olympics or any health questions, you know the easiest way to get me is info at alessimd.com. And uh, happy to uh, answer your questions, your health-related questions, or questions regarding something you, you may have heard on the show. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And in this half of the program, we're going to be talking a little bit about athletes with intellectual disabilities and Special Olympics that are coming up. And our guest today is Dr. Gene Herzog. Dr. Herzog is the uh, Senior Director for Health and Wellness for Special Olympics Connecticut. Dr. Herzog, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Um, so let's get right into it. Uh, we have Summer Olympics coming up, the uh, Summer Games coming up for Special Olympics. Uh -huh. um, can you explain to our guests what an intellectual disability is? What is that 
now encompass as far as Special Olympics goes? Well, I think a lot of folks have a misconception that, uh, particularly with Special Olympics, that that it is exclusively folks who have Down syndrome. But uh, it is anyone who uh, who tests at the level at which a person is designated as having an intellectual disability, and it crosses a very, very wide spectrum. So we're seeing uh, folks participating as uh, as athletes who have intellectual disability, disabilities resulting from uh, things such as Down syndrome, uh, autism, and a variety of different kinds of disorders. You know, I, I think historically it, it's so great, uh, you know, that Special Olympics is truly something that started here in America and has graduated to be, uh, be an international uh, event. Uh, what are the numbers like in terms of the number of athletes participating in Special Olympics now? Well, in Connecticut, we serve 7,000 individuals with intellectual disabilities in this state, and uh, that age range is between 8, and I believe our oldest athlete right now is 81. Uh, There are 441 school-based programs here and uh, 74 local programs for sports. So we are a very, very active state. What do you mean by a school-based program? Uh, there are the schools in Connecticut, uh, many of them, in fact, uh, the vast majority of them play unified and have unified sports where uh, kids with and without intellectual disabilities play together. And it really is an inspiring thing to see. Uh, I, I, I was telling you before, uh, before I had you call in, uh-huh. uh, that's one of the, the greatest things. I look forward every year to getting out there with them and uh, participating because it's great to see. And, and people have to understand there are certain rules. So, for example, in unified soccer, a person without an intellectual disability is not dominating the game. They can't score a goal. They're typically not the goalkeeper. And, and there always are a certain number of athletes with intellectual disability on the field. So I want to give people some idea how that works. So it really takes tremendous teamwork. Uh, for everybody to participate. And I guess that's what we're really trying to accomplish, isn't it, Gene? I, I guess, you know, even in societies, to assimilate everybody in, right? Yes, absolutely. I, it is the mission of Special Olympics to uh, have the inclusion revolution, which means that everyone is included regardless, regardless of ability. And that extends across the sports, across health care, across life in general. So, yes, you're absolutely right. So let's get into it. I'm assuming your job really has a lot to do with the Healthy Athletes Program. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you explain to everyone what that is? Well, it actually is a little bit bigger than that. Uh, Back in 1997, uh, Special Olympics International realized that in order to be a great athlete, you have to be a healthy athlete. And that was when the health initiatives were begun. And uh, healthy athletes is a program in which we provide screenings in eight different areas to our athletes uh, to identify potential problems and then help follow up, uh, help get the folks follow-up care that they need. There are uh, the eight different disciplines include healthy hearing that addresses issues having to do with uh, any kind of hearing issues, hearing problems, fit feet, is essentially with podiatry, 
Fun Fitness is physical therapy, and that addresses the health needs of athletes in general, looking at flexibility uh, of uh, calf muscles, shoulder rotators, hip flexor muscles, and so on. Health Promotion looks at living healthy and having a healthy lifestyle. Opening Eyes, which is sponsored by the Lions Club International, uh, looks at, uh, it gives free eye screenings and provides follow-up care and also provides free prescription glasses and swim goggles to our athletes. Strong Minds is one of the newest, and uh, that looks at uh, the ability to deal with stress on the daily level. And Special Smiles is our dental service. And our newest one is uh, MedFest, which is the medical screenings that are required of all people who want to become athletes uh, and also in the state of Connecticut, we require that it re- be repeated every three years. So this, it's a very, very active program. But that's only one part of our health initiative. The other areas, of course, we really want to address fitness in general. We have Fit5, which is a program that's designed to educate athletes about fitness, nutrition, and hydration. And our unified sports fitness clubs uh, bring together people with and without intellectual disabilities uh, for regular activity. Many times it's walking. It can be yoga. But uh, we really try to address, address the whole individual. And uh, some of the other things that we do are to partner with uh, others across the health spectrum. One thing that is, has been uh, very recognized is that the access to care uh, certainly has to involve having health care providers who are familiar and comfortable in working with people with intellectual disabilities. And this has been a major barrier to uh, folks receiving the same standard of care as everybody else. And it's something that has been recognized by Special Olympics International. And so uh, we have been very active. In fact, last year we provided training to 296 health care professionals in the state. So, again, a very active program. But why is there a barrier to access to care? What, what are the biggest problems we're seeing in that regard? I think uh, what I just mentioned in terms of the training of health care providers, and that, does, uh, that includes physicians, uh, dentists, dental hygienists, nurses, uh, anyone who touches a patient within, a, within the health care environment. Um, There is not a whole lot of training that is offered to folks in how to deal with folks with intellectual disabilities. There's starting to be more information and more willingness and more involvement, and we're starting to see that uh, in the health community. In some areas, uh, it, it may be just distance is very hard for people to get where they need to go, but a good deal of it is, is just uh, working from within the healthcare provider community to recognize the needs of these individuals and be able to serve them. Is it communication? I'm trying to put my finger on I know that sure. it, with my own patients, I'll be honest with you, those with intellectual disabilities rely on either public transportation or mm-hmm. the Medicare, whatever it is, system yeah. that we provide that is wholly inadequate. Um, and I'll go out on a limb with that one because um, uh, these folks often are waiting forever for the transportation. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. they'll get to the office an hour or two late. And and obviously my office is attuned to this, so we don't care when they get there. We're going to see them, okay? But, you know, you might it, – it, I think a lot has to do with the transportation issue uh, more than anything um, rather than, you know – understanding the the medical problem it almost seems like it's an administrative problem overall um in some senses and yes it is it is difficult for people to uh sometimes to get places and and uh while some of our athletes drive of course the majority do not sure and uh, so they're dependent on some other means to get where they want to go and um, uh, yeah that can be quite difficult for them uh, we're going to take a short break, and then I want to get back with Dr. Herzog because we want to talk a little bit about the specific problems, the dental problems that you touched on, obesity problems, diabetes, things such as that, and and what we could expect next from our colleagues over at Special Olympics Connecticut. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. And we're chatting with my guest, Dr. Gene Herzog from Special Olympics Connecticut. Gene, let's, uh, I want to get back into it a little bit in terms of the health needs of people with intellectual disabilities. Um, what specifically are the problems we see more in that population? Well, I think probably the, the best way to describe that is to look back at some of our data from the past year. And uh, in looking at our folks from... Uh, 2018, I can give you just a brief summary of of the spectrum of things that we see. In terms of vision, 23% of our athletes had an existing eye disease when they were examined, and 33% of them needed new prescription glasses. Uh, 49%, almost half of them, had gait abnormalities of one kind or another, and a surprising uh, number, 39% of them, had the wrong shoe size on. And uh, there are flexibility problems, strength problems. One thing that is very, very common also in terms of hearing is having blocked or partially blocked ear canals because people don't get checked. And uh, obviously that's going to cause a a very significant problem. And a quarter of them failed their pure tone hearing exams. Uh, One of the biggest issues is that of obesity. Sixty percent of our athletes that we saw last year uh, had issues, were either overweight or obese. And we saw that of our young athletes, the ones who are, who are under the age of 18, that 31% of them were obese or, or 31% were uh, overweight or obese. So there are a significant number of issues. There are many of them uh, report that they have absolutely no coping strategies to have to, uh, how, to re- how to handle stress. And uh, so it's it's a wide spectrum of issues, and we try to uh, we try to identify things within the context of our screenings. We are not healthcare providers, and so it's our responsibility then to ensure that individuals have a place to go in order to be followed up and to have these issues addressed. And that is that is another part of our initiative is is to work with our partners in the community to ensure that people do have uh, places to go for follow-up care. Is hard finding uh, groups or, or people or organizations to do that? Is it, is it typically a system that, that does it? How do, you, how do you go about finding 
follow-up care for your athletes? Well, one of our major partners is the Community uh, Health Center Association of Connecticut. And so the uh, federally qualified health centers are uh, a great resource uh, to be able to see these folks see these folks, and uh, there are pockets in the community of folks who will, uh, of, of providers uh, who will see people with intellectual disabilities, and as I said, part of our initiative also is to reach out uh, to other providers and uh, provide training and information about how to work with people with intellectual disabilities, again, with the ultimate goal of inclusive health care and the same standard of care, and your point about I, you know, it's not an issue about recognizing the problems. It's getting the people there, right. like you said, right. uh, in order to be seen and having people on the receiving end who are willing and capable of seeing folks with intellectual disabilities. Uh, this was a, has been a major thing that we have been working on for the last three years as part of our drive to become what's called a healthy community. Uh, this is a designation by Special Olympics International, uh, recognizing programs who have made great strides and melt, met uh, specific criteria. And we're very proud uh, that in the last week we have been recognized as one of only 33 healthy community programs in the world. Well, so. congratulations! And actually, I don't I don't know if people understand how advanced Special Olympics Connecticut has been. Uh, especially with respect to the Unified Games. I mean, we were among the first, if not the first, uh, organization to have uh, Unified Games. Um, And and I think people in Connecticut, we got a lot of volunteers, though. Can you talk a little bit about the volunteers and how people can go about volunteering to work uh, with these athletes? Oh, our volunteers are, are, they are the heart and soul, uh, in addition to our athletes, of course. And uh, across Special Olympics, whether it is in sports or health, uh, we need you. We need your volunteerism. We need you to be out there helping with the athletes. Uh, if you go on to our website, www.socct.org, uh, you will see the various opportunities listed on, under the volunteer section. And, uh, for example, during the upcoming games, which are next week, there will be about 2,900 volunteers involved. And I can tell you on the health side, 300, about 300 of those are in health. So we, uh, we depend on our volunteers, and, and uh, we encourage everyone to come out and help. What will you be doing? Will there be screenings done next week uh, at uh, Special Olympics, uh, the Summer Games? Yes, this is the time when all seven of the uh, of the screening um, uh, disciplines will be going on, and that will be done at Southern Connecticut State University at the Adante Center. Uh, Special Olympics, in terms of the games itself, we're a little bit spread out. We are very spread out this year. Yes, we're very spread. <laughs> we're very spread out. Uh, I can just give you a quick rundown of where things Please. are. Tennis, race walking, and swimming are at Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven. Track and field, and this is the group that is the big move this year, oh, yeah. uh, is at the Yale DeWitt Kyler Athletic Complex in West Haven. Soccer is at the Hamden Hall Country Day School at Skiff Street Athletic Complex, also in Hamden. And cycling is at Yale University West Campus in Orange. 
Yeah, I I got the email saying don't even come to uh, Southern – don't come to the central area because just go right to your area. So um, yeah. I'll be out at Hampton Hall. So what's right. next for Special Olympics Connecticut and, and especially with respect to the health initiatives? What, what do you see coming down the pike? Well, I think, I, I think that uh, in terms of health, we uh, want to continue our mission and to build and grow our partnerships – uh, across the Connecticut healthcare provider community, working with universities, colleges, professional training schools. Um, and we also, we, when we reach out, we also have health messengers. These are athletes who have been trained in working with the health message. Uh, they come with us. And so that's a, you know, that's a very, very significant part of what we do. We, um, want to, of course, participate in health policy development, and we stay aware of the kinds of things that are going on. Like, for example, there is currently a bill that has been reintroduced in Congress that uh, is is focused on including people with intellectual and developmental disabilities as, as a medically underserved population which opens a lot of doors in terms of what can be done for health care. So uh, just a lot of activity going on. You know, there, there's a lot going on, and actually, you know, you, you raised an issue when you say medically underserved populations and medically underserved areas. You know, we have a lot of uh, young physicians who come here from foreign countries yes. and are trying to get visas, and in doing so, they are obliged to spend three years working with underserved populations. Mm-hmm. And are very willing to do that and and fulfill a need that we have. Uh, I'm just wondering if Special Olympics can be considered part of that in order for some of these uh, very talented young physicians who want to stay in America and come here um, um, to get a little bit more involved with Special Olympics Connecticut. I think it would be a great I, thing. Absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful experience for folks in training and also for those who are already in practice that may not have had the exposure and uh, we certainly invite people to get in touch with us and to uh, and to volunteer. And we will be having, as I mentioned, we'll be having MedFest, which will be the screening, the the uh, sports physical screening for folks. And uh, we will need physicians for that. And uh, so we're reaching out to the community, and we already have some great volunteers for that. But if anyone is interested, I would certainly encourage them to get in touch with me. And it's great for old guys like me. <laughs> yes, I, it is. Uh, I got another. I guess another question: funding, right? I think there's a little bit uh, of a misimpression that that Special Olympics is a government organization, and and I really want to clarify: this is a you know this recently came up, right? Because the president decided not to fund uh, Special Olympics, and uh, then they did decide to fund it, but th- that's not our major source of funding. I mean, this is a privately funded organization and really relies on donations from the people listening to this program. And and I think we should clarify that to some degree. Absolutely. There is a lot of misconception. And and when I've been out in the community, uh, people think we're either a state organization or federal, and we are not. Yeah. And we we work for grants. We... uh, work with corporate sponsors, private sponsors, uh, major gifts, and uh, another huge part is the in-kind donations of our partners. 
and uh, that's very important. Yeah, and on this station, uh, people who are regular listeners are always hearing about how money is wasted in Connecticut and uh, taxpayer dollars. I will tell you firsthand, your money is not wasted. If, if, if a grant is given to Special Olympics Connecticut, it is directly used for what it's supposed to be used for, and it is a phenomenal investment. Gene, um, I want to thank you uh, for your time today, and more importantly, thank you for everything you do for this uh, group, and I look forward to possibly meeting you next week out on the soccer field. That sounds good. Take Thanks care. for the opportunity. Thank you. That was Dr. Gene Herzog from Special Olympics Connecticut, and as I said, I'll be out there next week. I will be here on Saturday with all of you and hopefully with a guest. I'd like to get Dr. Leitha Dulipsting back on and, and hopefully talk a little bit more about diabetes uh, with all of you. And I want to I encourage you to listen to the Healthy Rounds podcast, and you could download that on iTunes. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy.